Kopitiam Conversations. So since you mentioned about the golden age, so I think it's probably um, a good time to bring this question up now, right? So the 1960s to the late 1980s were regarded as the golden age of advertising. And of course, this has been a subject of popular TV series like you mentioned earlier, Mad Men. And of course, I think mm. the protagonist for Bewitched was also an uh, yes, yes. Advertising an account guy. Account yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. So obviously there was a certain coolness factor associated with being in the advertising industry. I mean, it must be cool enough to make it to TV like like policeman or <laughs> I mean, sorry. <laughs> sorry you guys for accountants. Accountants almost never make it on <laughs> on uh, movies or on TV series. Sorry you guys, All right? Yeah. So obviously there was a coolness factor associated with the advertising yes. industry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was creative, it was cool, it was you know, out there. So you were definitely working in the industry around this time, right? I mean, you started in the 60s, probably yes. not. I, st- I started in the 80s, yeah. And it was right. we were still in the golden age, yes, mm-hmm. yes. So what was it like in the golden age and how was that different compared to right now? Okay, uh, there's a vast difference. But the first thing I will tell you was you would make a lot of money. The clients, you see, first media rates were much lower, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it took much less money to get yourself visible on TV. The media scene right. was much less complex, not so complicated. Um, you you weren't able to target so accurately as you would for social media now. Right. But then you would have TV, you would have print, which included newspapers and magazine. Mm-hmm. You would have outdoor, you would have radio, and maybe you would have some promotion. You know, and uh, and basically that was it. So you know, you cut your teeth on writing for print advertising, and uh, the the most important thing then in the golden age was, with a fifteen percent commission of the media budget that you would be spending for your client, the commission of fifteen percent that you got from the media owners, um, you would actually be able to turn a great profit. So for every one ringgit we spent for the client, the media gave us back 15 cents. Oh, so okay. if you have a budget of a million ringgit which you are spending with the client, for the client, you are getting back 150,000. But that does not include all the um, all the special rates which you negotiate for the mm-hmm. client. Uh, and so you, you, you make even more money on the back end. And then there was for third-party costs for fees and for production, you would charge them a commission of 17.65 on third-party costs. It was a markup. Right. 17.65 is a reciprocal of 1 over 15 and you'd get right. 17.65. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, then you'd also be able to uh, mark up when you produce radio commercials, TV right. commercials for your clients, when you produce the uh, printing films for your clients, uh, when you produce uh, billboards for your clients, you would also make money from the production. So it was, uh, I remember Ogilvy was about uh, billing about, it had a turnover of about 44 million when, when I joined it. And they were making huge profits and they were paying us great bonuses, you know, and the salaries were very competitive. Right. The directors were driving Mercedes Benzes as company cars. It was a it was a good it was a good business. Margins weren't so squeezed. It were they weren't so tight. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know, uh, they were very generous with us. They would sell us uh, they would buy beer, uh, anchor beer, and they sell it to us in the gallery. Uh, for right. 80 cents a can, you know, which we which can't can't even buy a can of Coke now, yeah. Hold on. So, so the cigarettes were free and the alcohol was basically very cheap. Very cheap. Yes. <laughs> yes. I well, can see where this they... is going. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, at the end of uh, at the end of a day, there was a place where we'd all be able to relax. There were dart balls. It was like a little pub. It was called the gallery, <laughs> and right. uh, we would be able to take um, beer from the fridge and we just sign for it. 
I remember in my first month there, I signed away my whole salary. <laughs> At the end of the month, I had no salary. I said, what happened? Oh, your, your beer consumption was this much. So then I realized, oh, I see. But we also could pay. So the better one was to pay in cash, you see. Right. So you give the, the, the tea lady or the bar lady who's in charge there. You say, okay, I'm giving you 10 ringgit. And I let, uh, after that, don't take any more money from me. Because I, you uh, know, okay. I might, you know, I might uh, overspend. Keep so to a budget, yeah. <laughs> yes, keep to a budget. So the golden age of advertising was basically, uh, one, you would, uh, it, it was very profitable. Two, um, it was about the quality of the work and the quality right. of the people. There was an amazing quality of people uh, who were in advertising. These were people from all different walks of life and they, they cut their teeth and they learned on the job. Right. Uh, but we had great teachers. We had great foreign creative directors who were here to teach, who were here to, 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 to develop local talent. Yeah. Okay. And also, there were another part of the golden age was we had amazing clients who, as I said earlier, were gutsy, who would buy stuff, who would say, "No, I, I, I don't want stuff that is really ordinary. Mm -hmm. Show me something that was outstanding. You know, uh, right. give me something that you know people will remember, which I will be proud of to talk about in my club. You know. Mm. So it would be things like that that they would push you, and that made the age golden. Another thing was. It was the kind of people that the industry attracted. Uh, they attracted, uh, how would I say, people who were articulate. Mm -hmm. uh, they attracted a lot of women who otherwise would have been teachers or nurses. Right. And these people who finished their teacher training came out and said, no, I'm not going to teach. They taught for a couple of years and, and then they found that they were, they were English literature graduates and they, right. they, they wrote and they spoke very well. And I worked with so many of these. Many of these later became creative directors. And there was one who was a partic in particular a, a good mentor. She was a nurse, you right. know, and uh, she, she taught me a lot in terms of uh, infant formula advertising because she was a mm -hmm. mother. Um, so there were different kinds of people and uh, they didn't keep their opinions to themselves. If you went to work looking tired, they would actually right. ask you, you know, what did you do last night? Why are you so tired? <laughs> Um, and then, of course, there were standards. Standards were very high. You know, in the 80s, you would... Uh, I, I started not as a writer. I started as an account management trainee. So you were expected to wear ties and long sleeve shirts yeah. and to see your clients. And at that time... Suits, yeah, um, that's what they called, yeah. Yeah, we were called suits, you know. Yeah. So uh, I remember we had a British um, managing director who would, about 5 o'clock, walk around the office and chat with people. And one day after an extremely long afternoon of meetings, I came back and I was writing uh, call reports, contact reports, and I was writing job requisitions and job sheets so that they could be sent out the next morning, so that the secretary could type them right. and send them out the next morning. Um, I remember it was rather stuffy, the aircon had gone off, so I had undone my tie and my collar was open and I had folded up my sleeves. Right. He walked by with his pipe and then he doubled back and he says, Lawrence, I said, yes, Roger, how are you? Oh, I'm good, but uh, this is not your country club. You know, we expect certain standards to be maintained. And he just walked away. And everybody else looked at me and they said, your tie, your tie, your uh. tie, your cuffs, button it. I noticed everybody, nobody unbuttoned their ties or their cuffs until they left the office. Well, despite the aircon being broken yeah, down. So later all. we grumbled and we said it was not broken down, but at five, the aircon will go off the building maintenance. Oh, okay, okay. So, right, right. Uh, so then they installed, you know, those, those other independent units mm. so that, you know, and there were fans. So it was, uh, it was a little bit more bearable. Some of us right. had to work longer hours you see mm -hmm. uh, and of course also one more thing was 
in uh, those days when you had multinational advertising in the golden age they respected a work-life balance um, ah, if you okay. went home mm. i remember one uh, one managing director uh, there was a guy who would always continuously go home very late and uh, and then he would be walking around the office and he would be carrying loads of stuff and one day the md saw him hey how are you uh, and he says oh i'm so busy i'm doing this and i'm doing that i'm going home he expect and i'm going home late every day so he expected some sympathy from the md and this <laughs> classic british md said oh boy <laughs> well one of two things must be happening either your contractor is overloading you with work and you have too much on your plate which i don't think is true or maybe you are just bloody inefficient <laughs> he walked away and i was within earshot and i went oh shit you know uh, so you had men of character and they right, right. words and the advertising industry was like that there right. were very many nice people and there were also people who would whip you into shape if they saw potential mm-hmm. they wouldn't take rubbish from you and they would say look they would they tell you you have a lot of potential but don't become one of those you know uh, divas or prima donnas just knuckle down and do the work and yep. produce not tactful answers but truthful ones <laughs> yeah. yeah like like the guy in uh, in uh, madman i remember his name now don draper Yeah, Draper, he never yeah. minced words. Yeah, Don Draper didn't mince words, and that series, when I watched it, I thought, well, it is a very, very, how would I say, faithful reproduction of what the golden age was. And some of it was not faithful to time. That was in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. right. and in the uh, in the 80s, we were still doing things like that. And then when I checked, they said, no, 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 they actually advanced a lot of things because the way certain visuals were produced and certain markers were used and uh, they were they were using overlays and stuff like that we only started using overlays in the late 70s and early 80s otherwise they right. would hand draw the visuals differently so i remember i thought well it's uh, it's the way i remember advertising to be you know they right. would talk about the billing you see um another reason why the golden age of advertising has died uh, mm-hmm. and it's very different from now is in uh, at the turn of the millennium at about in the late 90s and about 2000 right the large advertising firms and groups started to unbundle unbundle means they started to carve out the media departments that were planning and buying right. with huge budgets and they, they developed them into separate uh, media agencies that would right, buy right. media mm-hmm. you know you would have media edge you would have uh, you would have uh, the the havas group you have karat right. media and so on mm-hmm. so these people would then become media independents and the creative agency was left with just fees which their clients would pay they would negotiate a fee payment right. system and in malaysia i worked with kairudin the ceo of the foyer the who was then the md of low lintas right. and i was the md of another agency and we worked on a fee structure for agencies that spelt that that was the death knell of agencies because we were just making uh, just enough plus a little bit for profit whereas when you had the media at your mm. disposal when you were buying the media you made right. a commission to commissions yeah so they are uh, they unbundled that and we lost our commissions overnight although as an agency i have let's say nestle and i mm. go to mindshare and mindshare is an ogilvy concern too it it has got the same parent owner right. but at the same time they would give us back only a minimum when i used to make when we would make 15% now they are giving us back 3% you know Ooh. for introducing ogilvy to them and of course now agencies creative agencies depend on fees and even digital agencies depend on fees and it's also sometimes performance based mm-hmm. and the margins are extremely thin right so this is really something which uh, they should never have unbundled and uh, well i mean if you would ask me uh uh 
I've answered what made the golden age great, you know, and the decline was basically one, you know, advertising became a commodity. Right. Uh, clients became very conservative because uh, the one group of people, they, they realized, oh, I'm paying fees to these people, so I must make sure I'm going to get as much as I can from these people. And when they did squeeze, the agencies would say, okay, we give them a safe campaign, but we also mm-hmm. give them something that's quite amazing. But there was something that was quite amazing took time. Right. And time was money. We would build based on time, you see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, have you noticed the decline in the standard of yeah. advertising today? Terrible. And all of it is a function of money. So, um, you know, it was basically agencies now, the creative agencies and even the digital agencies are not being remunerated mm-hmm. fairly. Yeah? Right. And because they're not being paid fairly, they're finding it hard to employ good people or they're finding it hard to produce quality work simply mm-hmm. because they don't have the people to do it. They don't have the talent and good talent takes a lot of money That's right. to hire mm-hmm. and to keep, you see. So they don't have that. And of mm. course, it is the, the, the media agencies are still making the money. And the strange thing is, as the what has happened is the media agencies are now starting up their own creative departments to start servicing their clients and create campaigns for the clients. So they've gone a full circle. And what I predict... Unbundle and rebundle team, again. I, they, I think there will be a rebundling again. Mm. You know, there will be a rebundling. And this time, I think the biggest losers will be the creative agencies. Uh, right. Through no fault of theirs, they, they were unbundled. And now, you know, the WPP group, the Havas group, you know, the, the, the publicist group, they're all looking at, oh, oh this is not working. Yeah. Right. So why don't we put them all together again? Uh, and I think if they had left well alone, if they had left good alone, it would mm. have remained and the industry would have grown stronger. Right. Yeah. Uh, so basically, that was what caused the decline, and you know. So that's uh, the um, number one, the, the unbundling of the media yeah. agency, so the media and became its own agency, which yes, basically yes. killed the goose that laid the golden egg. On one hand, correct, something then, like that. Yes, something like that. And then on the other hand, it's also the the clients are getting more, you know, concerned about their ROIs. Yes. Yes. Yeah? Correct. Mm. Correct. Advertising was measurable even then, but it was right. measurable and there was a large margin of error. Now it is even more measurable by right. the number of people you can actually uh, reach and you know by the number of sales that you have, by the number of leads you generate, by the number of inquiries that you have and so on. These are all, uh, these are all KPIs which agencies have, have been set before. So that's why in the golden age, um, uh, the, the founder of uh, the Unilever group, Leverham said, you know, right. um, 50% of my advertising budget is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which 50% right. is wasted. <laughs> right. Okay, you know? well. Uh, he was true, yeah. Well, sounds hedonistic back in those days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the question well, I was... I say it was... <laughs> yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, um, but... Yeah, so my question was, you know, with, with the, the free cigarettes and the dirt cheap alcohol, so was it wine, women and song... All back then, I mean, we have ever no actually ever, advertising that was you know by today's standards, it would probably consider it sexist and all, right? Okay, uh, it was not wine. It was not all wine, women, and song. It was work, 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 and then wine, pass out, and then was work again. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. We 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 when we oh, okay, uh, deadlines were sacred. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we were given good deadlines, right. and we had to respect those deadlines. We had to meet those deadlines. Mm-hmm. And if we uh, started it late, then we'd have the whole studio and everybody going into overtime. Right. But the risk of going into overtime was you would have to pass that extra cost to the client, and mm-hmm. the account director would have to approve the overtime. The overtime will only be approved if you had a good reason. If you start late and you say that you are overloaded, right. um, then I think you would have to clear it with your creative director. So there was some uh, SOPs you had to follow in order to make sure that your overtime was justified. Therefore, right. you have to respect your deadlines and plan your work. Secondly, yes, of course, I do not know why the affinity of advertising people to smoke was very, very high. You know, and of course, maybe because cigarettes were free, but even in the non-tobacco agencies, uh, the cigarettes were still, you know, yep. uh, people were still smoking. And uh, yes, uh, we after work, it was like the norm. It was like as if you were working in the UK. After work, you go, you go across the street to a to a pub, pub for a drink, yeah. uh, or you'd go downstairs. You know, if you were when I was in grey, we'd go downstairs, thirty-seven uh, floors down. To the right. street level, and there was a great. There was out of Africa, and and we would have a drink there, you know, or a yeah. few drinks, yeah. A so it was always, over, yeah. yes, correct. So it was always usually like that, and uh, with you see, because I think the pressure was very great, and I right. think the stress was very great. So what mm. we would do is, we would just sit there, and we wouldn't talk about clients. We would talk about everything else. We talk about football. We talk about you know uh, our favorite movie, or we would talk about all kinds of things, right. or maybe we'd bitch about a client, you know. But <laughs> that was it, you know. That we never, we never really talked about. Hey, how do I? Have you seen this? Or have you? Do you know that? We don't, you know. We we talk about or oh, we gossip about other people in other agencies and who's mm. having an affair with who, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. But uh, that was basically it. Yeah. So. Um, it was not all women and song. We always made sure that in order to enjoy what we wanted to enjoy mm. in leisure, we right. really worked for it, lah. We right. worked really, very, very hard. Work hard, play hard, and the rest yeah. probably yeah. the passing out. <laughs> yeah. Not being yeah. able to remember. <laughs> yes, <Right>. correct, correct. <laughs> yeah, exciting times, exciting times, right? Um, at a time when it, I think about the '80s and. I still remember vividly, you know, tobacco and alcohol advertising were in the cinemas, were on magazines. I think, uh, yes. you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, I remember that, that Guinness Talk advertisement on television as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it went, Guinness Talk is yep. good for you, you know, yeah. I remember that one, yeah. Oh, so I was young yeah. then and I was booking a Guinness Talk advertisement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously there were a lot of money for these campaigns and all that. So oh, um, yes. which were the brands you actually have worked for, you know, the tobacco and alcohol companies, you know, which uh, uh, campaigns you actually worked for? Well, um, I didn't have the honor of working for these big brands, but we had the Malaysian Tobacco Company mm. uh, and uh, they paid us a lot of money to do what we call development work. I was working, I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. We had to work in a, an enclosed room Right. And we were developing a new brand for them, or new brands for them, and we would ta- we would lo- we would look at these. Um, uh, how would I say these as you called non-cigarette advertising vehicles? Because at mm-hmm. that point already, we right. could not develop, we could not use the brand by itself. We had to diversify the brand into another thing. Like John Player was a cigarette, John yeah. Player special. But then they went into motor racing, all right. And then right. later, yeah. when they downgraded the brand, they talked about you know I I do not know about uh, they had mementos and Dunhill used to have pens and cufflinks and shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. You know style, quality, excellence, uh, and then. Uh, 
uh, Salem, Salem used to have Salem Country Travel. There was Peter Stuyvesant Travel, you know. Yep. So uh, and then there was Marlboro High Country, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, these were all. I worked on a brand called Sterling, which never took off. Uh, and right. we were supposed to develop a whole range of, you know, silver and 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 sterling silver sort of uh, jewelry for men, and mm-hmm. you know, pens and stuff like that. Right. Uh, Dunhill beat us to it, so they stopped it. But they paid the agency well. They paid the agency mm-hmm. for development work, you know, a couple of hundred thousand every month just for doing development work like that, you right. know. And I would have to work on it three days a week, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. Uh, but I did work on a fair bit of alcohol advertising. I I used to write for uh, what you call the Dinehart Green Label. It was a nice uh, mm-hmm. leaf from it. It was a German wine, right. uh, Jules Sabaran. And then I would write for uh, Johnny Walker, the whole Johnny Walker range from right. the from the green label to the blue label to the black label to the red label. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, and then of course uh, there was a, a brandy called Couvoisier, and then there mm-hmm. was a champagne called. Uh, I forget it was a French uh, Le Grand Dame. Mm. It was so so we we would create advertising for that. Most of that was all in print because at that point uh, the the people who uh, were well wine drinkers and whiskey drinkers still had the time to read right. the newspapers and mm. you know they would sit there and yeah. they would read the papers. Yeah. So uh, alcohol advertising uh, aside from beer was very very interesting because you had to borrow a lot of imagery and you right. had to understand the drinkers' uh, mindset. And he didn't drink to get drunk. He drank because he liked the taste. Uh, he drank okay. black label because he could afford it. You know, he drank. He, it's it's like you know, I've worked so hard, and uh, black label is my uh, reward, as is my Mercedes Benz, as mm. is my Rolex watch, that kind of thing. You know, symbol so of success. Yeah. Of symbol of success, a lot of snob appeal. You know, mm. and uh, I, I I I believed that you know you you had to have a certain kind of uh, distinctive ability to understand. This target audience in order right. to write. Mm. It was not just a booze, booze, booze. It was not just a promotion. Girls making you drink because uh, only now whiskey is very popular. It used to be brandy then before red wine. Right. And I remember um, um, taking this. Uh, what was his name? He was basically the third or fourth generation of the people who owned the um, the Martel brand. Yeah? Mm. And uh, he was aghast. This Frenchman. He was the. He was right. a successor, the heir apparent to the Martel Empire in France, and he we took him to these nightclubs and restaurants to show him how people would drink brandy in Malaysia. And he says, uh, "Well, I'm not. I'm shocked at the way they murder <laughs> my drink, right. but I am again not complaining because they are drinking so much of it." Yeah, it's still money. <laughs> so, yeah, it is money. It is just that I would like to shut my eyes tonight and not remember how they drink my, <laughs> how they murder my brandy. Yes, he said. You know, uh, so he was. Uh, he, they were interesting people you meet. Yeah, uh, and uh, so basically, uh, yes, I, and uh, cigarette advertising. By the time you know we reached the nineties, was already dying. Uh, and they were going into all sorts of dark marketing. They were going into functions and events and motor racing, and 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 uh, they were diversifying everything. Yeah. By the late 80s, uh, by the late 90s, there was practically nothing left. Yeah. yeah? Uh, the tobacco lobby was squeezed against the wall. Uh, then, of course, you know about alcohol advertising. Uh, we yeah. became more and more Islamic, and uh, papers refused to accept. They would, they would, but they would be very careful. You couldn't mm-hmm. show people drinking. You could only show the product. You know. Uh, right. You could tell a story of the product, but you couldn't do anything else. So it became very restrictive. 
very very restrictive so basically uh, these things the, the clients move their marketing budgets into promotions and right. pushing the the product on site rather than you know uh, spending it on building mm. the brand yeah so they got all these promoters all coming up to you in yeah. the pubs yeah. and all yeah yes. mm. yep more more push strategy line that way right yes correct correct mm. you're right yep okay um so what were the best some of the best campaigns that you actually have worked for well uh, uh it's really stood out for you long well, uh, I, I did a lot at one time uh, when I was writing, I was in Low Lintas. We had the BMW account. Mm. Uh, uh, I was write, doing a lot of writing for BMW and the campaigns I wrote for BMW uh, right. stood out. It built the brand then to what it is today. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I also did a fair bit of work for, um, uh, I, I would be, many people would not be proud to say it, but I was very proud to say that you know, I did a lot of work for detergent advertising. You know, and we created local brands that were very unique and very different. Mm. Uh, and also, uh, I did in, in the in the early two thousands. I worked on brand. I actually built up uh, when uh, the client bought the Seven Eleven chain from the Taiwanese. Right. Uh, you know, we, we created advertising, and uh, they began to go on a, a, a what you call that um, an opening spree where they opened many different branches. You know, and we did an amazing radio campaign for them. Uh, mm-hmm. I also worked on uh, how would I say uh, I liked I won some awards I think for Lee and Perrin sauce I won some awards for carrier air conditioning you know print ads I won some awards for Vicks you know the inhalers you know those were the Ogilvy days and the wings days. even Caterpillar tractors were award-winning advertising which I had done um, and so uh, I and it was not so much the awards that I mm. won that were satisfying it was the brands that were very pedestrian, that were very, right. um, very me too, right. and you have you're able to create market share for that brand, and you are also able to uh, help it get a certain kind of position in the mm. market, right. and that was fantastic. You know, uh, yeah. I remember uh, after looking at Fernleaf Milk, we did a mm. campaign giving mothers a pat on the back because we found a key insight that mothers needed affirmation about what they were doing was right, right. and we did a campaign for them and the brand. F- from nowhere became the best-selling brand after seven months of uh, mm. advertising, you know, milk powder brand. That is what uh, clients pay us for. Not right. so much to win account, uh, awards, mm-hmm. but to create uh, market share for them and to yep. put their brands uh, on the map. And I always tell young creatives, it's not about winning the awards. You have to do work. But yeah. uh, yes, award-winning work is good. But at the first, in the first instance, you are paid. Mm. to actually do something to help increase your client's market share and right. to increase his brand recognition and to mm. increase uh, what that brand is all about to the consumer. All right. Yeah. Obviously, have to you know think about making your brand memorable, getting stuck in the yes. consciousness and top yes. of mind. Yep. Correct. 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 Right. I noticed that you couldn't remember whether you won an award or not. That must have been the alcohol, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, talking about that, I, I think I also I also won an award for some of the Johnny Walker stuff that I did. You know, the Johnny Walker print campaign, yeah. uh, the Black Label print campaign. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I took the I took the the saying from Confucius: "The journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step." You know, uh, presenting the Johnny Walker whatever collection, make the take the ice plate with the word step. 
you right. know. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I remember vaguely those things, but they awards didn't mean much to me. Mm-hmm. I I'm of the school that you know after in Ogilvy, it's not about awards. It's about doing what you can for the brand. To put it on the map, and then from right. there I joined Low Lintas, which was the same. So it was not much of a cultural shock. But when I joined Wings Creative, it was then owned by the late Tansiri Lim Kok Wing. I was in cultural mm. shock. It was all about winning awards, you know, and it was working 24/7. Uh, I only took a year of that. I only could take a year of that before I nearly burnt out and I had to leave. Right. Uh, to safeguard my own sanity. <laughs> all right. Okay. So um, based on that, okay, based on what you said, all right, mm-hmm. and you know, looking at where we are now, and you know, what's going to happen in the immediate future, okay. So, how do you see the advertising industry now? Of course, with digitization, all right, um, this intermediation and, and things like that happening. Okay, how do you see the advertising industry in the near future? Say maybe five or ten years down the road. Um, the fundamentals probably don't change. Everything is still dependent on an idea. Your clients pay, clients pay us uh, to create ideas for them, ideas that work, ideas that generate sales, ideas that build a brand's franchise, that build a brand's presence in the market. Uh, and uh, that is the sole reason for the existence of any advertising, to build a brand. Uh, and to build that brand, you use ideas. So that doesn't change. The way we do it will change. The platforms we use have changed. Yeah, from the time I was in advertising till now, the platforms have changed. Print is almost dead. Yeah, and uh, when you talk about a TV commercial, you talk about the commercial or the video being aired first on YouTube or Google Ads and mm. Facebook rather than on uh, free-to-air TV or on um, uh, what you call this cable TV or satellite TV like right. Astro. Mm. So you see the. The platforms may have changed, but in creating a video for a, a brand, in creating advertising for a brand, you still need an idea. So that doesn't change. What has happened is the delivery methods will change. The food, the content does not change. The, the recipe behind that content will be even more advanced mm-hmm. and it will be even more tasty. But the the delivery of the food to you, like we have now, changes. But the food in itself doesn't change. Right. Yeah. So uh, the same thing goes for uh, even media planning. Mm-hmm. It is about making sure that the brand stands out. It is making sure that you have enough reach. It is making sure that you reach the targets. But nowadays, it's not about just oh, uh, we are looking at this segment of the demographic and that's it. You're looking at a demographic which which can be further funneled down into a specific age group so that you can get leads, you know. Right. So uh, or you can actually generate some form of sales from these people, and that becomes the, the difference. Yeah. But if you want to ask me to tell you the whole picture, I think the industry. Uh, will recover after this stronger, and um, I would like to predict. If you would ask me one thing, I would like to predict that I think we are going to be rebundling mm. because uh, media agencies are already are already uh, having their own promotion teams and their creative teams mm. uh, doing advertising devoid of. Uh, the creative agencies. Right. You see, the media agencies actually then pick up a client that has got no creative agency, and they say, "We'll give you the creative free of charge, mm. exactly like how an old school agency right. would 
for the unbundling. I give you the credit for free. I will only charge you third-party costs if I need to shoot a, uh, the commercial for you. Right. If I need to create the print ad for you, yes. If I need to do photography for you, yes. But the creative service is free because you're paying me a commission. Right. Do you see? Mm. And so this comes about by also... Yeah, yes. sorry. And this comes... Uh, um, this comes about by also the uh, conglomeration of all the media companies and all that, right? Where they can provide yes. full service for that Correct. one client across the world. Yeah. Correct. Correct. For example, Mindshare services, uh, Nestle all around the world, mm. you know? Uh, and uh, I'm not sure which agency uh, services um, Unilever around the world. Mm. So they can do it, you know, but it's basically not so much these large media agencies that are actually rebundling. It is the large local media agencies, like there's an agency called Trapper. Trapper right. Media used to have its own creative arm 10, 12 years ago when I was working with them, you know. Mm. So it is basically these people coming together and saying, look, I'm going back the way it used to be to, to the way it used to be. Because, you know, when you deliver 40, 50, 60 million ringgit worth of clients advertising budget to the media owners and you are making a base of um, 15%, that's just the base. That's a lot of mm -hmm. money. But, you know, when I used to run an ad agency called Inter-Pacific and we, we still had, we, before we unbundled, we were, I was making a gross margin, uh, a gross commission of 29% because of the special discounts I would get mm. for the clients. And we were, we, we were doing very, very well. And when we had to unbundle, my, my, my margin went down to 10%. Oh. You know? And I thought right. that's the death knell of most, uh, mm. most advertising agencies. It would be very tough to, to turn a profit. It was tough to employ good talent. You know? So uh, I see the advertising industry in the near future. Let's say five years from now, you would see many media outfits, media specialists offering you creative services. And it's going to make it harder and harder for the creative agencies to, you know, do business. And they've got to reinvent themselves now. They've got to very urgently, urgently look at their business model. And I think they've got to realize it doesn't work. They have cannot depend on fees alone. Get rid of the fee model, go back to a bundled model. And I think that is going to be the key. But then you're going to be leaving a lot of people unemployed. Mm. Are you going to, because the, the media agencies are very dynamic. The media right. agencies are not like, they're not dinosaurs, you know. They, they actually think about promotions. They actually think about a pull factor for the client. Yeah. And the, the creative uh, campaign, the, the brand building campaign doesn't work. They look at on-ground activation. They look at how they actually can push, you know, sales. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the, the creative agencies think it's below them to think of things like that. Right. Uh, they somehow over the years, they've become very spoiled. <laughs> you know, unlike when when I used to work at Ogilvy, when we mm. do a campaign, you think about the promotions, you think about the direct marketing, you think about the public relations, you think about every aspect of it, and then you'd come out with an integrated campaign. I learned this integration with when I was with Gray. I worked on the telecom business. Mm. Oh yes, won a lot of awards for Telecom Malaysia. When I worked on the telecom business, um, we used to have to think about everything from, from uh, mainstream advertising to the promotional strategy to the direct marketing. We used to do right. mailers, DMs. We used to do, uh, uh, how would we tackle this? How would this idea be in terms executed in terms of um, the uh, public relations campaign? So as the credit a joint credit director, you would be able to have to talk to all the divisions to be able to tell right. them how to apply it, mm. you see? Uh, and and uh, we made a lot of money. 
you know, not just from just the commissions, but uh, the telecom payers fees for PR, for promotions, for direct marketing, and that one idea drove everything. Right. So I think that should be the way it is going. It has to go again. This and the clients are very, very uh, annoyed because they have to deal with so many people. Mm. Previously, it was one point of contact, one person in the agency, and that was it. Now you've got to deal with the promotions person, you've got to deal yeah. with the digital mm. agency, you deal with the media agency, you've got to deal with everybody. So the clients' costs, time, and efficiencies, the, everything has increased, mm. and, and the right. efficiency has gone down. Yeah. You see? Mm. So, okay. Um, yeah. Right. Thank you very much, Lawrence, for sharing your experience and also your expertise in the area of advertising. All right. Thank so thank you. Gopitiam Conversations.